Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Super glad to be with you today. Both myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors. We've been helping people with their financial lives for almost more than 30 years, I suppose, and done this radio program for more than a, a quarter century. And uh, it's, good, it's good to be here, Pat, because it's... It's the strangest of times. It is. It's actually nice being in the office. You're in the office. Yeah, you're in the office. <laughs> I know, we are in the office. <laughs> but most of our folks are not in the office. Yeah, but there, every Some week are. there's a little bit more and more people coming back to the office. Yeah. But it's, I mean, when you look at um, with the, the divisions between people... I mean, both politically, then the divisions on COVID. I mean, that's just strange. The financial markets up until this month have been like nothing on a tear up, right? I mean, like up, 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 up. And we're finally getting a little bit of volatility uh, on the downside, which is typically a healthy thing in the markets. I mean, why is the stock market 20% higher, roughly 20% higher in 2021? (laughs) When, I mean, is it? Our earnings aren't 20% higher no. across the board. Is it lack our of GDP, alternatives? Our GDP, although it just hit back to where we were, is not 20% higher. Is, is it lack of alternatives? Yeah, yeah, is there yeah. too much liquidity in the marketplace? We'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, what we saw this last week, the uh, the administration and the campaign, it was going to be, here's the tax increases that I want, here are the tax increases I want. And then we saw at least <laughs> a number of the house, the house come with, with their first draft of proposal with tax increases. Um, maybe in, one of the things that was talked about was a 39%, uh, I'm sorry, 40% plus 3.8, 43.8% capital gain tax rate. That looks like it's not going to be there. But what was proposed is a substantial increase for a lot of small business people. Yes. Increase in capital gains, the Obamacare tax being applied to small businesses that hadn't been before and capital gains, and- increase in, in the top tax rate surtax on higher income people, uh, lower the amount of income before you hit the top bracket. It's really quite And the division between single and married couples was much narrower than it had been historically. It's strange. It wasn't that really strange. There are going to be some, there gonna to be some wealthy couples saying, let's get divorced. It was, it was you really quite... Two, <laughs> you, take two, you take two professionals, let's say you get a couple surgeons married to each other, yes. right? Yeah. Both with, well, let's say they're making 600 grand a year or whatever. I don't know. And like, if we get divorced, our tax structure is going to look much better. Because they're normally, they align <laughs> pretty quick. Well, that's the problem. There's always these unintended. Here's what we do know. This was the first draft. This is not going to be what's legislated. Yeah. It's going to go through the sausage making process that it goes through. And it's going to look a little. But there's some signaling, I think, that um, some things to watch for that are probably not going away. One was. A cap on retirement plan contributions, which was uh, it was way up there. Yes, ten million bucks. Yeah, yeah. Not and, many people have and more it was, than ten and million. That was, in retirement it, that was directed basically at the Peter Thiel, which is like one in a billion that he put two thousand dollars in. What was it? PayPal. Maybe one it. in seven billion, eight <laughs> right. billion. How many people on the planet? <laughs> the only yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. He put two thousand dollars in PayPal back at the very, very beginning inside his Roth IRA, and it turned into billions of dollars. You know, quite frankly, yeah, it's it, that was written around it. But there is an awful lot of signaling. What I thought was most interesting is that the the salt white. Uh, yeah, didn't here. seem to be really addressed uh, too much. Yeah, this is really for people who live in uh, states with income taxes or high income taxes, the ability for them to deduct their... The state income taxes against the federal, which is a form of subsidy for those states that have high state income tax. Well, if someone's in the top tax bracket, uh, federal income tax is roughly 40%, let's call it. And so you live in a high tax state, uh, New York, New Jersey, California, Hawaii. I think Hawaii is now the top. Essentially, the federal government would pay 40% of your state taxes, right? Yeah, which is a subsidy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You write a check for 100 bucks for your state income taxes, the government gives you, federal government will give you 40. They eliminated that. Under the Trump administration. Yeah. 
which was surprising. I I think that was uh, it. Didn't I thought it was really political. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't surprising. It was, it was kicking dirt in the yeah. The it face was of the, uh, the the Democratic states yeah, of the side. The states, yeah. yeah. So anyway. yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting time. And look, one thing we know is that things go through cycles, right? Uh, and this too shall pass. Even in the midst of this, when you can't, we think that things can't get more strange with COVID. You got the administration now going to, for whatever reason, they decided that we're going to put it on the private sector to get what we want. Well, you, you know, I was I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. Have we done the show since then? When when I, I don't I don't remember, but I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago with my wife, and every restaurant we went into, even a coffee shop, there was someone at the front. Asking for a vaccine card. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, and and I asked the people that were doing it, "How do you feel like doing this?" And they said, "It beats the alternative of not being open." Like, yeah, it's a nice way to be, look at it. They weren't happy about it that they became a police force. Um, yeah, it is. It is, and we will get to the back of the finest. It is such an interesting time. I've got three older sisters. I love them all dearly. Three different views on on our approach to COVID, right? The whole thing. Yeah. One, she's always been a bit, a bit of a hypochondriac. And so she's loved being in, having groceries delivered, wipes off the packages, leaves them out for a while before they come in. I mean, the whole thing. Um, and health, it's been super healthy. Are you allowed to go to her house? I've not seen her. In, oh, uh, okay. You can, but you have to stand in the yeah. driveway for two so, days. And, and one of the first to get back, like on that end. And then I was talking to... Uh, my, one of my other sisters owns a restaurant. I was talking with her this morning, and she was saying that one, she's, one of the things I love about my job, she says, I've served 30,000 customers since the start of COVID. Wow. She's been vaccinated a lot. And she's like, she's like, if I get it, I get it. Like, whatever. Right? She's just out there living her life. And she says, I'm so grateful that I haven't been isolated, that I've been able to. She says, there's a period of time we were shut down, but for the most part, we're able to serve our, our customers. And she says, I love my customers. I love all that interaction with Wow. People. And I thought, in the same both, family. Yeah, yeah, I'm a love love both sisters dearly, and in I'm not one who's going to let differences of opinion impact my relationships, and so I don't get it. Like whatever. Like glad you guys all have your own views and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we all have our own views, and I don't. But talk it about is that. real. I mean, don't politicize the point that the COVID isn't real. It's how we're dealing with it that is. Of course, the it's spectrum. Real. Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no question. Yeah. Some people that say it's not real, I'm like, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> come on. There are some people that are way out there. Yeah, on their the, views. the question is, is, is how contagious is it and what's our reaction to it, not whether it's real or not. And how do we get through? How do yeah. we navigate a society through this yeah. looking at all risk factors? Not going away. Not going away. It's not going away. Not going away. It is not going away. And right, my, unfortunately, to- it's probably going to become more divisive. That's what we need. I'm sick of talking about COVID. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> All right. That's why, how do we start talking about that? We're talking All about right. If you'd like to join the show, 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-999-6784. If you have questions about your IRA, 401k, taxes, investments, insurance, life insurance, disability insurance. You don't see much disability insurance anymore. Uh, long-term care, all those questions. But we're not insurance brokers, so we have no dog in this fight. <laughs> I don't see much. In, most of the people we talk to are near, near in retirement. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> and this show is primarily about those that are marching from the workplace to retirement, getting to a point where they have financial independence. But we have other listeners as well. Yeah, but, that's right. And we love them okay. too. Yes. Okay. All right. Eight three three ninety nine worth if you'd like to join the show. Let's go to the calls. Let's talk with Bob. Bob, you're with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean of All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, Pat and Scott. Um, Hi, Bob. It's a, it's a pleasure to be to talk with you. I, I really enjoy your show on my morning runs. Um, and I find over the years that I, I kind of agree with your philosophies more and more. So I, I figured I'd ask you for a oh, second good. opinion well, thank you. on the situation. Um, yeah, my wife and I were both uh, 55-year-old empty nesters. I guess uh, describe ourselves as uh, do-it-yourself vanguardians, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have three adult sons living on their own. Um, 
Um, my wife's currently not working, but I'm uh, a federal employee. I'm also a retired Army officer. Um, and so, um, um, so when I retire from my federal employment, we're going to be set up, uh, and we're very fortunate uh, to have, uh, you know, several uh, streams of annuities that will more than cover our retirement expenses. Um, and that leads me to the question. We wanted uh, to get your thoughts on a second opinion on what to do with uh, uh, three old life insurance policies okay. uh, that we really uh, we really don't need anymore. And let me, if you were to die today, what happens to your pension with pension with your federal with the federal government job? The one that uh, you're... my my military pension is a fifty five percent survivorship for my wife, and then my federal pension is also a fifty percent. Uh, survivorship for my wife. So you die today and she automatically would receive 50% of what your pension would be entitled to. Is that right? Yes. And I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out, do we have an, do we have an insurance need between now and pension time, which is quite common. Like kids are gone, but I've got this income stream and I've got a pension that's going to come when I retire. And, but you're, but he's receiving one of those pensions today, correct? Yes. Yes. I already received my military pension. And, 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 and uh, so if I died today, my wife would not need uh, life insurance, um, and if she died, um, you know, obviously I, yeah. I'm still working. I would not need the insurance. And there's no, either. she has no income stream tied to her life. Is that right? She's not working. She said um, no. There's she no... worked on and off throughout the years, uh, but she ha- and so, she, um, uh, but you know, for social. Not security, saying she's she not was, valuable. Right? So I'm just right. trying to figure out economic interest there. So, all right. So tell us about the life yeah. insurance policies. Yeah. So there's, there's three of them. Um, and the first one, uh, it was, it was bought by my parents when I was born in 66, 1960 or 65. Um, it was a five, $5,000 whole life policy. The annual premium is, is still in effect of $51 a year. Um, and the, 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 you know, the dividend from the cash value pays the annual premium and then it buys additional insurance. So the, yep. so the death benefit on that $5,000 policy is now about $10,000 and the cash value is about 6,000. Okay. That's one. Uh, and then there's another one, uh, that my parents bought for me when I started, uh, or when I was in college. Um, and that was a 20 year, $50,000 whole life policy. Um, and um, after the 20 years, you know, we stopped paying the premiums. The annual dividend on that is, is a little over $1,000. And the death benefit on that $50,000 policy is now 102000 And the cash value is 52000 And are you and, uh, putting any more money into any of these? Are, do, are you putting any money additional yeah. into the $50,000 whole life? No, because it was a 20-year policy, so the dividend is... Well, the dividend is just buying additional insurance. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then my wife, we bought a a $100,000 whole life policy in 1986 when our first son was born. Uh, And that has an annual premium of $850. Uh, And again, the the dividend is paying the annual premium, and that death benefit is $127,000 with a cash value of $33,000. Okay, and so so uh, so you know, I just wanted some second thoughts about what what we should do with these policies, considering that we it wouldn't change our life at all. Yeah, right, I get you it. Know, You're just trying to be them. good steward, steward. And what did you say the cash value was on the uh, third policy? Uh, uh, Thirty-four thousand. Okay, and are, are the cash values are any of the cash values on these policies shrinking on an annual basis? No, they're increasing because they're all paying uh, dividends. Yeah. Okay. That was, and, and the reason I asked that is because every contract is constructed a little bit differently, and so sometimes the cost of insurance can go up in a policy. Some of these old policies are actually pretty good. I know what I would do. You'd keep them. I'd keep them. Yeah. Because, I mean, if I do the return on investment, <laughs> you don't even run the numbers. You just know. Yeah. You, and, well, the, here's they they were designed at a time when, uh, first of all, um, mortality. We weren't living as long, right? So you go back to the, even a little time, back, even back in 1986, we're living longer than we were in 1986. Now, granted, our life expectancy has shrunk 
pre-COVID, um, I think for the uh, 2019 because of other lifestyle choices we've got. But so the the cost of uh, the insurance things have changed, and then secondly, it's the interest rate environment. The their investment environment is much more challenging today. So some of these old contracts, they just the way they're structured, they're, they're pretty good deals. And if you look at if you if you project out between now and the time you're going to die. Not, some of them, these old ones, not that bad of return. And yeah. if you were to cash them in today, the question is what? What would you do with the money? And, and what's you'd the have taxes? to pay taxes on it. So I'd leave them alone. Yeah, if I do the return, it looks like they're earning about, uh, they all earn about 3% a year. That's not, ca- that's the cash value. But yeah, you've got but the death benefit. You want to look at the death benefit. And then you want to look at it as a tax free, which actually then. You, you drive it up to the equivalent of a taxable. Yeah, so, what I was thinking, you know, so uh, that's interesting that you say to probably keep them. Um, because I was thinking of maybe to cash, to, to cashing them in and then looking at a um, second to die universal life policy. No. Um, Why would you do that? Well, we have a considerable amount of money in Roth IRAs and my TSP and a brokerage account um, that's all transferring to our sons. Uh, and our pension, we have four annuities that are more going to cover our expenses. So, yeah, so why do you need life insurance? Um, it was a way to transfer actually um, more to our uh, to our sons. Oh, yeah. We have, we have I mean... Folks. I, I, I guess if you're modeling it in such a way that you're saying, look, when I ret- when we retire, our net worth is going to continue to grow because we have such good pension income coming that if we lived a normal life expectancy, we're going to be able to have X dollars to pass on to our boys. But if something happens, we both die young. We don't have quite as many assets. So is that what you're thinking? Well, yeah, we, we already, you know, our, 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 we have our, our IRAs are all 100% Roth, uh, and we intend to pass them to our boys. Um, we have a million in a brokerage account that's, you know, taxable um, that we've just, you know, we're buy, hold, buy and hold investors, dollar cost averaged over 30 years. Um, and we don't have any need for any of that. That's right. Because our pension is going to Yeah, so why do you want life insurance? Wait, 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 so how much do you have in the Roth? Uh, we have um, 800000 in our Roth IRAs. And how much do you have in TSPs or uh, uh, pre-tax? TSP is uh, 700000 and that's half Roth, half non-Roth. Okay. Wow. Any other assets? And then we have the million dollars outside of you know, in a normal brokerage account. Yeah, you and mentioned home, that. And your home is paid for, I'm assuming. The home is paid yeah. for, yes. So, so in essence, if you were to buy a second-to-die life insurance policy, actuarially speaking, if you and your wife are of normal health, you own second-to-die policies. Uh, well, you own a first-to-die already because you're, you're more likely to die before your spouse is if you're the same age. I don't know the economics that I could actually justify a second to die. Normally, a second to die policy is used in the state tax purposes uh, to pay estate yeah. taxes. If I were you, if which you, incidentally, uh, currently it's eleven million dollars per person under the, this last week's tax proposal, that would drop back down to five and a half million per. Yes, person, if yeah. that if that comes passes, which, which is anyone's guess. Which is surprised me that it wasn't more. So. If you were my little brother, um, and you are, would be my little brother, I have a 55-year-old little brother. So I, was, I know that <laughs> Pat's been in the business a long time when it used to be. If you were my father, <laughs> I know. if you were my uncle, if you were my, my older brother, now it's if you were my little brother. <laughs> if you were my little brother. Um, That's why I oh, guys. I would put 100% of my investments in equities, right? I'd keep these life insurance yeah, policies. Doing- um, I would live through that and I would live off the annuity stream yeah. of those pensions. If that covers all your income needs, then that's how I'd manage this yeah, portfolio. That's, yeah, that, that, that's definitely what we're doing. And, um, so you would keep the three life insurance oh, policies uh, just because they're, 
Look, you can't replace these things. You're not going to get a yield and fixed income as, as well as these on a tax-free basis. You're just not going to. Okay. On the after-tax basis. Yeah. And by the way, this is not an endorsement out there to buy a new life insurance policy because the life Unless insurance policy— Unless you're buying policies, it for estate taxes. If you told us your estate was worth $50 million and you wanted every dollar to go to your kids— Second to the life, life insurance might be a great solution for you. Yeah. The last life insurance okay. policy you bought was in 1986, correct? Uh, 96 for my 96. Wife, yeah. Okay. So 1996. Those policies today are not anything like the policy. Those policies in 96 are not like anything like the policies today. The, the, the way they were underwritten. The way they were underwritten. You could not get a policy like that today. So – it's not an endorsement to the rest of the listeners or your people that sell life insurance that we endorse the purchase of universal or whole life life insurance. What it is an endorsement of is that you own something, you've paid the cost associated with it already. It is got a better return than what you could get with the same dollars in the marketplace today if you take those dollars and either invested it in a new life insurance policy and or a bond portion of your portfolio. So that's why you leave Tracking. it alone. That's why you leave it alone and go 100% equity the rest of it. And you'll be perfect. And thank, by the way, thank you um, for your service. Yes. And thank you for listening oh, uh, to our program as you go for your runs. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right. Have a good Appreciate one. the call. You know, it's interesting as you made that comment, Pat, about – We often say, if you wouldn't buy it today, don't own it. But that's not always true, right? Because there are times if you've bought something, the one, it might have been something you can't get today. Correct. <laughs> uh, but it, it also, there might be some tax simplifications and whatnot. As an example. Or the costs associated with owning it have already been borne. You have already eaten the costs associated with, I was with just, owning it. I'm I, sorry. I was just going to mention a front-loaded mutual funds, sales load. That, which is how mutual funds originally started. They were sold. Uh, a broker would get a commission, and roughly five cents on every dollar you invested would go to commissions. You pay this large load up front. So most financial advisors don't recommend lo loaded mutual funds. Obviously, Allworth doesn't recommend clients buy front-end loaded mutual funds. But the fact is, if you already own it, if you've paid the cost, you've paid the mission to the dance, let's say, you're already in there, like, Forget about what the cost was. That's irrelevant now. Now we're looking at just purely going forward. And because I see sometimes, Pat, I know you have as well, someone's owned a mutual fund for 30 years. Yes. Long time. Tremendous amount of capital gain built up inside that. Some other advisor recommends them getting rid of it. I've seen because it's a loaded mutual fund, and I'm thinking – the load was paid 30 years ago. That's not the driver anymore. The first thing you do is you quit reinvesting dividends and capital gains. That's the first thing you do. And the second thing you do is, is you forget the cost associated with owning it. You think about the cost associated. You, you forget about the cost associated with buying it. You think only about the cost of owning it, whether it's got an A behind it, a B behind it, or a C behind it. Yeah, and – Oftentimes, people will they tend to accumulate assets over their lifetimes, right? You, yeah. And it's not always that well organized. And oftentimes, they'll come to a financial advisor as the complexity gets large in their life. Uh, and what what often happens is someone owns they've owned a position in something for years, whether it's a mutual fund or an individual stock. They've had something for years. Might not be the the best today, like wouldn't necessarily recommend today, but because of the cost associated with exchanging that for something new, it makes sense to just to hold it and to build an allocation around that particular holding. And, or if you're charitably, charitably inclined is that's the first thing that goes first to thing. the charity. The very first thing. The first thing that goes. Even if it's 500 bucks a year you give, you can give 500 bucks of uh, worth of, of mutual fund and or stock or... That's what financial planning, that's really what financial planning is. So, I mean, I own things in my portfolio that I wouldn't necessarily buy today, but the cost associated with getting out of them is so great that you're just like, it's, look, it's not an A plus, but it's a B. Yeah. And it's the same thing with some of these old life insurance policies um, yeah. that we, we wouldn't recommend whole life to most people. 
um, today, unless there's an estate planning need, estate tax need. But uh, uh, you know, there are. If you got something you've held forever, it's, you not, might not want to get rid of it because it's. Uh, might make sense. Might make sense to keep it. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break here. Uh, before we head back, um, take this break though. Just want to let everyone know we've got uh, workshops. Our seven personal decision points. This is if you're if you're nearing retirement, thinking about retirement. We've got workshops designed specifically for you. It looks at things such as how how do I figure out how much income I need to replace? How should I look at investing? Have my portfolio set up? What's my tax structure going to look like? And we've got these workshops running in Denver, Cincinnati, uh, and uh, virtually as well. Uh, Saturday, September 18th through, through Saturday, September 25th. So combination of in-live, combination of virtual. Just register at the homepage at Allworth Financial. They're free, allworthfinancial.com, and I think you'll learn something. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue on with calls. This is Allworth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean's turning on his microphone. <laughs> Pat <McClain>. <laughs> <laughs> back too quick. <laughs> hey, uh, you should give me a heads up. I guess we are sitting in a studio. That, by its nature, would be a heads up. You're at the seat in chair, right? Okay, Headphones well, on. I was distracted. I'm easily. You've been really? a business partner a long time. There's uh, been enough shows, Pat, where I'll look at. I could tell Pat's like, not very often, but every once in a while, maybe if the. I can bet. We've I can, all we've all know the bad callers over the years. Right? Yeah. Every once in a while, it's just not a very entertaining call. I can get distracted. <laughs> anyway, but speaking of call, if you'd like to be part of our program, we'd love to take your call. Uh, maybe you've got a, you'd like a second opinion from us on something you're considering, or, or you've owned some assets for a while. You're looking at the right kind of way to have things structured. You're considering about maybe you make some change this year. Concerned about tax changes for 2022. Whatever the case may be. Uh, to be part of our program and to schedule a time to uh, have a call with us, 833-99-WORTH. Call 833-99-WORTH, and we will uh, love to take your call, ask you, answer your question. Uh, numerically, it's 833-999-6784. And let's talk with Michael. Michael, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hello, Scott and Pat. Thank you for speaking with me. I really enjoy your podcast. And okay, your thank you. Insights and advice. So uh, my question today is about international diversification and specifically the idea of having a portion of one's portfolio with an overseas custodian that might have assets denominated in a foreign currency. For example, maybe a, a Swiss bank that has your assets in Swiss francs. Uh, the motivation is that having some of your assets outside the local financial system might be prudent, and having them in another country like Switzerland, it, it diversifies your risk of having everything in one market and one currency and, and all based on custodians in, in uh, one financial system. How much money are we talking about? Um, and I, get, to Pat's, I think to Pat's point, it's like, if you if you're someone that's got hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, yes. is it worth that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you've got two hundred thousand dollars, is it worth no? The pain? Obviously not. Sure. Because I think what you're what you might be looking at. I mean, because if if it's if it's talking about you want to maintain some sort of purchasing power, so it's purely currency. There's other ways you can play that game without having to set up an account uh, in a in a in a foreign bank. On the other hand, if you have a very high net worth and you're thinking, I'm not sure what the future holds. Um, I'm not sure I'll be in the United States the rest of my life. Maybe there are some other things to look at. 
then I, then, and really only then would I start considering something like you're considering. And why don't we ask some of the oligarchs in Russia or some of the capitalists in China what they have done with their money in terms of international diversification? Well, just go to Manhattan and you can see all the penthouses that are selling for 50, 50 million or $200 million. That's right. exactly where they're And are. so we, we use an extreme example there of international diversification in order to get the money out of the home country. Um, and what you're saying is, well, if it, it might make sense to do the same in the United States. So back to the question, how much money? Sure. So a little about the particulars, uh, but um, my wife and I were retired USA citizens. We reside in California, but my wife, she has inherited assets and they've been reported and all that, but it's it's in a, what you might call a hotspot foreign country. And some of the assets aren't liquid right now, but over time we could try to liquidate them. And then the question is, do okay. we bring it all back to the USA or maybe we look for some of it overseas? And for the sake of argument, let's say this is uh, in, in the few million dollars range. Okay. Well, a few million dollars. So if, if we, it's got us off. I couldn't agree with Scott more. I mean, it's if you've got so much money, like you're going to escape and you can take your private jet somewhere and yeah, and maintain your life somewhere else. Other than that, I don't know. I I don't have any money in any overseas banks. Uh, I I don't, I don't either. <laughs> I have diversified portfolios. I have mul- You know, there's multiple custodians. And it used to be. Look, it used to be that. Here's what happened: like people would put money in overseas banks. And not report to the federal government, to the IRS, that the, what the transactions were. And when you're a U.S. citizen, you've got to report those regardless. It, it, unless you want to renounce your citizenship, you must report those. And for years, these banks said, well, the, we, we're going to stick to privacy here. We're not going to disclose anyone's information. Well, the challenge is um, Panama Papers were leaked. And it was over, and it was UBS and a couple other yeah, large big settlements. And now all the major banks that now that's like they will share with the IRS uh, any uh, U.S. citizens um, transaction. So that game, and frankly, it was not legal what people were doing. They gave the pant. They also gave people some, an opportunity to make good on. If you want to come forward, the penalties aren't going to be as bad. If you don't want to come forward and be, make good on on your past debts. Then we're going to throw the hammer down on you. Yeah, they said repatriate, but we're not talking about that for Michael because you said no. that you 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 want to be a hundred percent above board with the U.S. government and the IRS. I don't yeah. see a benefit to you of keeping money. I, I see a tremendous benefit if you had hard assets in a hot spot. Uh, to get rid of those hard assets and move them out of the hot spot, especially if more than 40, 50, 60% of your net worth is tied up in hard assets. Um, the same and that would work as, I mean, depending on what you're talking about, I try to get my money out of there as quick as possible. As quick as possible. I would not want money, any money in Venezuela. It, I mean, there's lots of countries. That- and, and, you know, we talked earlier, Scott made the, the reference to the, the, the Chinese business people and international business people and Russian oligarchs owning penthouses. The reason they like Hard assets is because they can't be moved, mm-hmm. right? And it's easy to obfuscate ownership in a hard asset in the U.S. if you're a, a, a citizen of a foreign country. Uh, at the, the same time, if you own a hard asset in a hot spot, it's difficult to move. Uh, so you, uh, if you're really worried about that asset, you want to get out of there as quickly as you possibly can uh, regardless of market conditions, mm-hmm. right? And then bring it back to the U.S. and invest it appropriately. That's what I would do. Yeah, I wouldn't worry okay. with Swiss banks or any of that. No. But I would try to get out of there, you know, if you had— And well, the franc is so expensive right now, too. I mean, just the currency— <laughs> Yeah, but you can always—that's true. But if you wanted Swiss—if you wanted currency exposure anywhere in the world, you could take currency exposure through— other means, yeah, yeah, financial products. Yes, 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 yeah. But there, mm-hmm. but there's no benefit. You would making your life uh, unreasonably complicated to actually uh, hold uh, foreign assets. It's hard enough if you own multiple assets in multiple states. Just filing <laughs> right. tax returns for that. So appreciate right. appreciate the call. Yeah, thank you, Michael. You know, you mentioned uh, we're talking about Switzerland. My son did a semester. He went to Boston College and did a semester in um, Geneva, Switzerland, and. Um, 
everything there is about double or triple the price of anywhere else. I mean, it was so expensive. It was like hard to fathom. Like if you went and got a Coke, it was like get a- six bucks or whatever. Really? Everything double or triple. I don't think I went to McDonald's when I was there. Oh. Usually, it's not my favorite restaurant. But, <laughs> but oh yeah, yeah, going out to lunch was a cheap lunch would be twenty dollars for nothing. Wow, everything was extremely expensive. Taxes. Well, he didn't pay any taxes. He was a student, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I tell you, on taxes, if this if this tax proposal goes through, which was was for you know, <laughs> they put it out there this week. If that goes through, we're, we're gonna our high income earners are gonna be at a higher tax rate than most of the world, most I, even these socialist countries. Yeah, I much I, higher. I actually uh, when I read that, I thought this is this is really bordering on socialism. Bordering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, we don't get too political on this program because uh, we like to help as many people as possible. Let's uh, talk to Ferlander. Ferlander, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Yes. Hello, Pat. Hello, Scott. Hi. Hi. I'm a first timer. Thank you oh, good. so much for inviting me. Thank you for joining us, Ferlander. What can we do for so, you? Uh, well, I'm retired in my mid 60s. My wife and I are both retired. Uh, we are actually looking at the best ways to budget our current equities and investments. Uh, we're currently selling our home in a state where I'm not going to miss the drought or miss the uh, fires. <laughs> the smoke. <laughs> and where are you moving to? And, uh, state of uh, Virginia. Okay. Where the taxes are lower, so my retirement pension will go a lot further. Uh, we make over six figures secured in our retirement. Um, and I have roughly, I uh, self-manage about 150 K and have about a, another 200 that is just sitting in cash. Um, so I need to know how to figure this out will be the best way for us as retirees to reinvest as though we're still making those mortgage payments over the course of a five-year plan so where we can build our dream home and determine what state and what location that would be in. And just live mortgage-free for a while and just, you know, digress a what, little, downsize, of course. Uh, yeah, so you're retired. This, so let's get this right. You're retired now. Have been since 2018. Okay, you have kids? We do have grown okay. kids. Okay. We have about six grandchildren, seven grandchildren, excuse me. And, uh, all our children are grown and have their families. And your your and your spouse is retired. Yes, both retired. Correct. Pension and, of and six have, figures. And so you have pensions of over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're living comfortably on that. Is, did we hear Correct. that? And you're not using Correct. any other these monies that you have in self. You said self managed of the money in cash. You're not using any of that. Well, I'm not using it at this point. No, I self one is locked up is is managed through uh, one of the local. Um, banking institutions and uh the rest i self-manage on my own okay about 60k of my own got it and 150 of my own so you're selling your house what's the value of the home oh yeah oh i've got uh <laughs> well what i've listed of course i'm getting over offers over that so uh -huh. we're in good position on that what do you, what do you have it listed for uh about nine eight nine ninety and what do you owe on it uh half of that Okay. And what's a house in Virginia, your dream house that you're talking about in Virginia going to cost you? It's nothing. It's it's uh, paid in full. So you already own a home in Virginia? Yes. Oh, you do? Yes. It's already paid for. It's paid in full. You own that house outright. Yes. You could move there tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, good for you. Nice. Okay, what's your question for us? Mm -hmm. So my question is, yeah, as a retiree... Sounds like you've yeah, got everything you go. planned Here's perfectly. Like, you know. No, 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 it's not. It's, but it, it seems as though, on uh, in theory, but we're doing it on our own. So I'm like, okay, when is a good time for us to look at, how do we look at our diversification, planning of that? When would be a good time, or what other avenues could we utilize to reinvest, to, to reinvest the proceeds from the sell of the home other than just putting it in a savings that really yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Money. That doesn't do anything for any of us, right? Correct. The market, Agreed September is the worst time in the last Well, years. no one knows that, but we'll go with that. No one's going to predict that, yeah. right? 
So I'm just looking at what would be the best avenue for us to look at to as far as okay. investing. All right. So here's the way, and you both are taking Social Security, correct? Negative. Are you eligible for Social Security? Negative. Okay. Got it. All right. So you've got $100,000 a year in income, and right now you're making the mortgage payment. You're moving to a place that you're not going to make the mortgage payment. Your standard of living is actually going to go up. Uh, you're going to walk away with uh, approximately $450,000, $500,000 from the proceeds of the home. So we look at that, you're going to have $850,000 in investable assets, of which you're not going to require any income whatsoever. But we'd like that money to be available for special large trips, African safaris, or whatever. whatever right. right? I don't want to oversave and underlive. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So with that in mind... And you, I mean, the thing that you've got going for you, Lander. You've got phenomenal pensions that have guaranteed cost of living adjustments. And you have no debt once this house is right. sold and you're back in Virginia. I mean, if you can tell us what your health is well, going to be like the rest of your life, this would be super yeah. easy, right? So we need to, it's right. that balance of making sure that we enjoy our quality of life today and have those extras if we make it to 90. Fernand, Ferlander, you're sitting in the cabled, in the fabled catbird seat, okay? So what you mm. would do if, you were in our office, we would look at this and I would probably put an allocation together, tax efficient allocation together based upon your risk tolerance of 60% equities and 40% bonds and cash. That okay. is yeah. probably where I would go with. And this. it might, it might probably, it, but it might, it might be other discussions like you want to earmark the risk, we're all human, right? The, here's the challenge. Right. It's $850,000 of what you're going to have by the time this house is sold, counting your cash. And your, sure. So you're, you're invested. Markets go through cycles. If it's $850 and you lose 10%, who cares? When it's 850000 and it goes down 10%, suddenly that's a, whoa, that's a lot of money. So what ends up happening is psychologically – we can end up getting attached to our, our, our portfolios. It's always fine when things are going up, but it's challenging when they come down. Correct. Studies show that people tend to make poor choices <laughs> during financial downturns. So part of the process is trying to determine what's going to work best for, for, Land, for Lander and your wife. Mm -hmm. What's the best structure so that whatever portfolio that you, when you come into with a rational mind, doing your research, your due diligence, the whole process, you make that decision when the financial markets do what they do and go crazy. They will. To ensure will. that you don't abandon that financial plan. Because the worst part of a good portfolio is the investor. Always. The worst part of a good portfolio is the reaction of an investor. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little personal story here. Okay. Personal story. I have been married to my wife for what? 35 years. So we're 20 years. Right. When was 08, right? How long ago was that? 08. 13 years ago. Uh, 13 years ago. 13 years. You are in the mm -hmm. finance business. And it's pretty basic math there, Pat. <laughs> Just to let you know. Okay. I was reminiscing about- Let me get my calculator. Let's see. It's, Scott, uh, I was reminiscing about my 35 years okay. of marriage in my just, mind. You did have a twinkle in your eye. Yeah. I was thinking, oh my, yeah. 35 blissful years. So, blissful years. I got 38, so I know I can amen with you, brother. So I, my, my wife is, I, I, own, I, I bought my first stock when I was 15. Right. I didn't have a lot of money, but you could mail a check. Is this to... a long life story? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> How long is the rest of the show? Let them go. Let them so, go. We got time. We got time. So, <laughs> so in 2008, 2009, the market's falling. I come home exactly. and in the laundry, I, I walk in and right on the counter is uh, our account statements from the brokerage firm at my firm with a large note that says, I've been going over our portfolio. There are a couple of, of these uh, funds that aren't doing that well. I think we should possibly get rid of it. Your wife's okay. financial advice to you. To me. It's like, what did like I do with I that? Moderna. You probably bought more. <laughs> so, but right, but you so but the the point being is that there, there's there's reactions. So you need to make sure, in Scott's point, you need to make sure that you end up with a portfolio that you can live with That's for right. the long run. That's right. And it may be sixty yeah. percent equities. It may be forty. For, fortunately, you've had a lot of experience owning investments because you're mid sixties. It's not like a little. Yeah, well, it's a little more than. It's not like suddenly you just 
You got 500 grand from your house that you've never actually invested before. And part of that is if you're doing it yourself, you've got to know yourself. If you're using a firm, then you've got to have great confidence in the firm that you're using that they know what they're going to be. I mean, obviously, you're going to be served, well served by working with a quality firm to help you with this, this process. Even just yeah, putting together the plan, so I, I would recommend you get, talk to a couple of firms. You're this is you're this great. Is a, you're doing great. Good problem to have. Good, it, great. So appreciate the call. Yeah, um, and Wish we're sorry that you're leaving the great state of California. <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> all right, uh, let's continue on here with all worth money matters. Eight three three ninety nine worth. If you want to join us, we're talking to Janet. Janet, you're with all worth money matters. Hi there. Hi, Janet. Hi. Hello. Hi. What can we do for you? Well, um, we're pretty well set financially. Um, my husband is already drawing Social Security, and he has an, uh, an annuity through his former job. And in next year, next October, we'll have an annuity that starts paying out. Um, what we're trying to decide is he's 64. I'll be 64 next month. Uh, I own a small company and I draw a small salary. Should I start drawing social security next month or should I wait? And when you say you own a small company and you draw a small salary, do you have any employees in this company? Yes. How many employees do you have? like nine. Okay. And what's the salary? I'm assuming it's either an S corp or an LLC or a partnership, not a C corp. Is that right? S corp. All right. S corp. Correct. And, and uh-huh. how much, how much do you draw in salary? About 18,000 a year. And but how much that's it's irrelevant really what the salary is because it's a pass through entity, not a C corp, an S corp. So how, how much total income comes from it? That was my second yeah. question. How on the K one. We had a couple bad years this year. Uh, we had a couple bad years. This year is better, so maybe sixty thousand. Okay, and what was it prior to the bad years? The total income. Prior to the bad years, total income was uh, two hundred. About two hundred. So Scott, that so the so and we also rent the building to ourselves. Okay. We own the building. Got it, and. And so the question is, what well, I mean, you can't, you really can't take Social Security until you hit your normal retirement age because of the wage limitations. And then, so I have a question for you, Scott. The S corp, the pass through um, on the That's dividend still counts as, tax. Is, it's, yes, it's the That's same thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yep, yep, yep. So it doesn't really matter what you put down, in, unless you're a C corp. If it's a pass-through entity, S corp, LLC, partnership, the okay. your, your 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 social security tax is based upon the the profit of that organization of that entity, the S corp. That's where you pay your self-employment tax on FICA and right the fifteen point three percent. Oh, so, okay. So you're looking at me strange. Pat. I did not. I don't know. That. I don't. I, okay. so, so I don't recall. I do. Okay, thank yeah, you. I'm going to go with that. 99.9% okay. I'm wrong every once in a while, but I'd, I'd put money on this one. Okay. <laughs> I just don't recall. Yeah, because it, it has to do with whether it's, because it's it's either wages or self-employment income. Her self-employment income is not what she decides to take out of the, send to herself each, each week or month. Yeah. It's so, what the business makes. So until you reach your normal, your full retirement age, um, you, you can only earn about $19,000 a year. Otherwise, you start losing your benefits. So it's not going to make any sense whatsoever for you to sign up. And by the way, your normal, your full retirement age is probably sixty-seven or sixty-six and a half or something. But by the way, this eighteen thousand dollars on the business that generates two hundred thousand dollars—if you've kept it there for years and years at eighteen thousand—it doesn't smell. It doesn't pass the the. It, it, it would, no, I, would, I, I dropped it to eighteen when we you, were having trouble. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because otherwise, we lost that... a lot of people. It's property man, residential property management, and a lot of clients got scared when rent control laws in California were enacted, oh, yeah. and now with the eviction moratorium, and that 
both of those coupled with the um, current crazy real estate market, we're losing a lot of accounts. And just because how we are as employers, we've never laid anyone off in our 33 years. So we're kind of overstaffed. Okay. Um, so rather than lay someone off and, and by the way, I've lost my confidence. Down, I'm, just, I'm starting to second guess myself. Yeah. So Scott, I think that <laughs> I, think I, myself. I think you, uh, so the question there is, look, look so we, we know this, uh, the, your income is mostly likely going to go up once it recovers. And that is reason enough Correct. not to start the social security. So. Correct. Okay. Because th- th- yeah. that was that eighteen thousand dollars was what what I hung on is because it seems to be lo- too low, so right. it, it th- that's reason enough because that's the maximum essentially for Social Security. But here is a financial planning tool. You're sixty four. You should be prepping this business for sale. Exactly. You should. You should. If you need to bring in a broker or go to a couple association meetings and find out who's rolling up these property management firms, because you own right. a large asset here. And at one point in time, my guess, if it was making $200,000 a year at one point in time net, that it was probably worth a million dollars, maybe a million plus. That's five multiple on an EBIT of 200000 And especially if you're overstaffed. So if you were sitting in one of my financial advisor's offices, we would be talking about your assets and we would include this as a major part of the assets. And how are you going to exit this asset? That would be my biggest well, concern. We, we could we talk about social security. Considering that. Yeah. You should, yeah. you, you got to do more than consider it. You need to start the journey. And there are firms okay. out there that specialize in the sale of property management businesses to larger roll-ups. And that's the conversation right. you should be having, which is, what do I Excellent. need to do to get the most value out of this asset? And I know you called about Social Security. Because, well, we've seen suddenly well, there's a, that question answered. There's a health right. issue, <laughs> right? Yeah. Suddenly yeah. there's some major health yeah. issue, some life issue. And you need to, if you mm-hmm. plan on selling it in the next Six months to four years to five years, you need to start working on it today. So I would start that conversation with people out there that actually specialize in the sale of your business. So I appreciate the call. Yeah, unfortunately. And 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 I'm backtracking my 99.9% confidence on the because I know you can structure it where you've got your salary at one thing and, the, and avoid the Medicare and tax. And avoid the Medicare tax. So, um, and so Scott, that's why <laughs> it is a spontaneous show. Know. <laughs> you know we don't actually get to hear any of the calls well, no, before they come well, in. Well, that's typically the financial plan and you just got a couple weeks that you go and you do all the research yeah. and you're 100% confident. So anyway, we're out of time. It's been great being with you. We'll see you next week. This has been All Worth Money Matters with Scott Hanson and Pat McClain. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.